Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. America is finally having an ongoing conversation about gun violence. In the wake of last month's school shooting in Parkland, Florida, and driven by the energetic political action of countless students across the country, it feels like there could be real regulatory action taken for the first time since the federal assault weapons ban went out of effect in 2004. Unsurprisingly, those that would prefer to dodge such regulation have, in searching for an alibi for gun violence, pointed again towards video games. Those, of course, are the words of Austin Walker, uh, and this is Waypoint Radio episode 144. Joining me today, of course, are Rob Zachney. Hello, hello. Patrick Klepek. Hey. And Austin Walker, who wrote the introduction, of course, for this week. Hey, how's it going? It's good. Uh... Normally, uh, we have a whole discussion about what the topic is going to be in a given week. But this week, it was really easy because we actually had sort of a theme going. All during the week, we wrote pieces about the relationship between guns and games. Now, we were talking about pizza and Sbarro uh, we before today's podcast. And there was, there was some gold there. Uh, but I feel like we have so much of a topic here since we all wrote or edited, uh, at the very least, a piece about guns and games this week. I thought maybe... Maybe we could uh, we can make this uh, this theme week really work and, and do the podcast about. So you that don't well. want to talk about how Canada has both chains called Boston Pizza and New Orleans Pizza. What, what? is that? Not it's not okay. All right. Well, look, we're going to talk about guns, but first, I think we do need to interrogate <laughs> this. We need to I don't interrogate know what's going this. On up there, I, you know what? Maybe it's they. You know, there 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 is a culture of guns in Canada too, but sure. they don't have the same violence problems that that mass shooting problems that America does. Sure, maybe it's the pizza. I don't know. I cor- correlation is it because they eat bad pizza? Is, is that what, what you're they, trying to say? I could be. I don't know. Correlation like, causation. That's the. That's what I'm hearing from the Trump administration. Bad so, pizza is like sorry. sort of soothing for a populace. <laughs> I didn't mean to do a common verse there. Correlations causation. <laughs> that's what good. I hear. From the Trump administration. <laughs> hey, anyway. you know you're a poet, and it's, it's yeah, good. apparently, and it's very good. Um, anyway, okay. Well, now that we've established that Canada has less gun violence because they eat bad pizza, uh-huh. uh, I feel really good about where we're going with this. Like the first couple minutes of the podcast, and we've already got like a good correlation causation thing going on. Uh-huh. It's really, really good. Uh, I mean, I guess that that leads really easily into the topic that Patrick wrote about, which is about correlations and causation. That's true. Uh, so here we go. We're going to ride this little segue like it's a, a, a Canadian skateboard and uh, go right into that. So, Patrick, you wrote a piece. Wait, uh, no, a Canadian skateboard is a thing. Are they different? Huh? Are they different things? I don't know. You lived I in Canada. I thought the implication there was that the segue is the Canadian skateboard. That's what I was trying to say. But... Is it a different type of skateboard than a skateboard from another country? Look, you lived in Canada. I don't know. I've okay. only been there once. It's better on the snow. That's the okay. difference. Okay, that's what it is. Okay. It's a snowboard, skateboard, <laughs> hybrid. Hybrid, it's beautiful. Yes. Got it. Uh, Patrick, sorry. 
Sorry about everything. Uh, you wrote an, an awesome story this week. You interviewed uh, an academic who actually has actually done the math, basically, who has done the actual uh, studies in terms of of the of not showing uh, necessarily a strong correlation between violence, uh, violent behavior, and video games. Do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about that piece, like where you where you found uh, this gentleman and and how you kind of thought about writing this story? Yeah, uh, you know, when we were sitting down trying to figure out, you know, sort of pieces to potentially write for this week, I was this was kind of spurred by uh, the the meeting that Trump called, uh, you know, kind of bringing in uh, video game executives, and so there was like a, a couple stories being written about that, and there was one in USA Today that was you know talking or speaking to the the you know the the, the supposed thread between uh, video games and and real life violence, and one of the uh, people quoted in there was this uh, this. Uh, research psychologist and professor and and, and book author uh, Patrick Markey, and so he really seemed to know what he was talking about. And I, you know, what I what I uh, the question I was thinking to myself was that we take for granted the concept that uh, science has proven out that there is not a uh, a, a correlation between uh, violent video games and real life violence, or at least not one that is meaningful uh, to to society writ large. Um, that should sort of shake our, our thoughts about video games as a medium, despite their preponderance of violence within them. Uh, but I, I couldn't really speak to, like, the specifics and didn't really know, like, what it meant other than the conclusion. Um, a lot of that is because, you know, when academics speak, academic papers uh, is very difficult to parse, like, w- w- what that all means. And uh, the book that uh, Patrick Markey co-wrote uh, called Moral Combat, um, which you can uh, find on, on Amazon, it's with a C instead of a K, um, um, for for that, um, it's it's, <laughs> it's written in plain language. It's written in the kind of uh, English uh, vernacular that allows uh, sort of your everyday person to understand the science and how we got there. Um, and so, uh, yeah, my conversation with him, which was a podcast that went up on on Monday, and then there are some excerpts um, in an article uh, that went up at the beginning of this week as well. I was basically just kind of talking through that science, like walking through some of the contradictions, walking through uh, some of uh, this researcher's own uh, assumptions uh, about uh, the the correlation. I mean, what he uh, spoke to specifically was about how some of his early research, because he's been kind of following this for more than a decade, uh, was – not so much that he was drawing a link between uh, aggression and uh, – or, or rather violence and, and violent video games, but was looking at sort of the emotional reaction, which sometimes can show that there is like a mild amount of aggression, but was not found to be dissimilar to like if you watched like a, a – you know, a, a really like action-packed movie that you were into or like uh, your sports team loses. Like there's lots of media that causes an emotional or, 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 or uh, short-term reaction, but that's very different than causing violence or explaining – uh, mass shootings. And so yeah. uh, we talked through a, a lot of that. And really what I found uh, most interesting about the conversation was a lot of the stuff that I didn't really uh, understand was like both uh, how like those actual experiments are conducted. Like how do you actually gauge right. the emotional reaction? Like what are they literally doing in the lab um, that allows them to draw these conclusions? And then things like walking through the different uh, mass shooters, like both the Columbine and Sandy Hook and, and other places where video games have been brought up as a uh, sort of talking point, but what actually we learned, like for example, in Sandy Hook, uh, I actually ended up laughing during the the conversation because I was so taken aback. Was that there was a uh, he, uh, the, the the Sandy Hook shooter uh, 
did own things like Call of Duty, and so that began that conversation about like, oh, well, you know, mm. geez, like I wonder if these violent video games are, are, are some sort of connection there. He played a lot of this Call of Duty, which is an incredibly popular game. It's not a particular; it is violent, but like a lot of people are playing this violent video game. But more uh, to the point, what they later found once they did they're like sort of like uh, uh, tracing over his steps. Like they kept seeing him go to this movie theater and they couldn't figure out why he was going to this movie theater over and over and over again. And they later found out like talking to uh, his peers that he was obsessed with Dance Dance Revolution, which just made me cackle because Uh it's so counter to our like general understanding of uh, how we talk about games and violence. And the last thing I would posit that that took me by surprise was um, we were talking about – the kind of research that goes into uh, this question of video games and the correlation with uh, real life violence, and I wondered, like, in the uh, is it you know? I said I, I, I am proposing to. I don't know a lot of how the funding works, but my guess is the funding goes to where politicians allocate it. And if the question is beginning with, do video game violent video games cause real life violence? Isn't it possible that we're led we're led to a significant amount of Po- possible conclusions, even if they're in the minority, they're uh, they're uh, there's a, they end up becoming uh, seemingly uh, uh, an, uh, more than an outlier because the research that's being funded is research into that question as opposed to research that is counter to that question or around that question. Right. And the thing he said was absolutely it was like if politicians are going to fund uh, money for do video games cause. Uh, or violent video games cause real life violence. You're going to end up with more studies that uh, end up uh, uh, sort of uh, drawing the conclusions that are a little more problematic because those are the kinds of things that you can get funded. So people are going to seek out that funding. So it creates sort of this like right. vicious cycle um, that uh, is uh, yeah. It was weird. It was interesting. It was a, a really fascinating conversation. It's interesting because I think that 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 conversation and this you know one of the questions we get we get and, and one of the questions I think we always internally have is okay. We, if the science does show that game that that uh, video games only create this sort of like temporary boost in aggression and not anything that that would lead to violent action, separate from other causations, separate from other other right. situations, um, how then do we talk critically about guns and games? Um, and more importantly, I, I I think that there is like at root a, a sort of nihilism that we have to contend with because. There is a line of thought that I've seen this brought up in response to this series, which is um, if guns and games, if gun violence in games doesn't lead to violence, then there is no, is there no connective tissue from content to behavior, from content or theme or uh, idea or, or anything that's being put put forward in a game to any sort of outcome? Then why do we care about what is in our games at all? Why do we want positive representation of of you know, kind of uh, of diverse characters? Why do we want games to tackle complex issues like death and sexuality? Why do we want games to to do the things that we see in other medium uh, in other media? Uh, why why can't games just be the place where guns you know happen very well, right? Like where where gunplay happens. Novels are really good at introspection. Novels are novels as a, a fiction in general is a place where introspection happens better than in film, better than in 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 video games right now. Um, why can't video games just be the place where gun violence is a core thing that's done well? If there's no connective uh, line between behavior or or viewpoint. And, uh, and the content of the game. I think that is, has been one of the, the most, um, because it, it's, it's difficult because when someone has that perspective, 
there is a lot of groundwork that needs to be done to get them to care about anything. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that person is is often just looking for an alibi to not engage with the issues. But but often, even when they're in good faith, there is something really scary about that notion of like, well, if none of this fucking matters, then like, why? <laughs> the, what, if none of this matters anyway, then what would even a game that has interesting or, or positive or, or, you know, positions in line with what we do feel matter? Um, and I'm curious if, if any of you have had that sort of um, internal struggle as you write about this stuff, as you edit stories about that stuff. I mean... Something that I was sort of I've sort of been turning over in my mind this entire week is that I think the answer is like these things are worth discussing because what's happening in our culture is interesting. The nature of the fantasies that we cherish and that resonate with us are always interesting to sort of inspect and consider and sort of wonder what are they putting in our heads. Right. But I also do kind of wonder there's an element like the way this has often been brought up in political discourse, for instance, is as a kind of red herring. But even more than that, like even discussing it critically, is there an also an element of diffusing responsibility to the point of meaninglessness? That, right. oh, it's not just that guns cause problems, but that we live in a violent and gun-obsessed culture. Our entire media, our entire, you know, the entire American entertainment industry is obsessed with that stuff and that's the real problem and maybe that does have an effect but also it's not like playing call of duty is mass producing ars and selling them in <sighs> gun shops across the land you know what i mean like right, right, right. there's there's an element of obviously all the stuff matters to to some degree uh these things like do sort of ripple outside of their immediate context but at the same time like there's a lot of people who make it their business to manufacture a lot of firearms and ammunition uh -huh. Uh -huh. and a lot of other people who sort of get by in elections helping defend the interests of right. people who profit by this. Right. And so like, you know, it's to me, there is an element of this that is a little bit resonant of like, ah, well, you care about climate change, but I can't help but notice you drive a car to work. <laughs> totally. And it's like, totally. yeah, yeah. Like that contributes to some small infinitesimal degree. But the structural problem is that maintains this toxic status quo is actually attributable to a somewhat narrow group of actors who have the power and interest to safeguard uh, the, the current status quo. Does that mean that, that the kind of goal is to challenge the – I mean, I, I often think about the brick wall um, analogy for change, right, or the, or, or for, for work in general as an academic thing that, that comes up a lot. As a grad student, you realize that a lot of the work has already been done by other people uh, and, and that a lot of that work has not necessarily led to any meaningful, like, effect in the world necessarily. Um, and one of the, the analogies you're given is like, okay, well, listen, you're never going to build the wall by yourself. What you're going to do is contribute a brick or two that eventually produces a wall and then and combines with other walls to slowly shift the way that culture happens. You take a look at the ways in which academia uh, is one of the walls in which um, the ideas around gender have changed across the last century in, in the West, right? It's not the only wall. Other walls exist that have nothing to yeah. do with academia, and no one person built that whole wall. Some people contributed a lot more bricks than others um but but bit by bit and so and so i think one of the ways in which we do challenge the gun culture in america is 
is by building the wall in our space, producing the bricks inside of our space, um, and and hoping to to discourage the, for instance, the relation, the tight relationship between game makers and arms manufacturers mm. that exists, the the tight material relationship that exists in that way. Um, and you're and speaking the, about publishers at this point, right? Yeah, I'm talking about publishers yeah. here. I'm not not you know uh, whoever on the you know whoever is making a game in there in yeah. there. I mean, you know, but also those people, right? Because there's the other way of thinking about it, which is they might not have the material relationship with guns um, in terms of like, you know, paying money to license uh, Heckler and, and Coach, Coke. Cock, Coach, Coke, Cock. I always said Coke. Coke. Uh, Heckler and Coke, like M- MP5s or whatever. Um, the fact that I know model numbers right. of, of, of guns is like very clearly demonstrating a lot of how this culture works. Uh, the fact that I have favorite guns despite not being a gun person. Like that's wild to me, right? That Ruger Mini 14, baby. Right. This is the thing. Like people have that. That's, that's like I played through, I just finished playing through Far Cry 5. I can't talk too yeah. much. I can talk a little bit about it mm-hmm. because the streaming embargo was up today and that's the weirdest fucking thing. The review embargo wasn't until Monday. So I can't give any final thoughts. But if I was streaming the game right now, I could obviously be talking about what I was playing. Um, but like I played through most of that. You have to have it on that... the background while you say this. Just make yeah, sure. Exactly. Just make sure. Okay. Exactly. All right. Oh, look, I'm holding a c- controller. There it is. I currently. see it. I see it. Oh, look, it's even. It's even. Ener- it's, look, it's orange. You it's can orange. See it. It's right color. Energized. Yeah. It's the energizer <laughs> battery color. Um, the I played the most of Far Cry Five with a gun that's like not good because I like the design of it and i like how it reloads and i liked how it how you, you it's, it was like a lever action receiver like a repeater rifle basically uh, and it's like oh i like this thing i'm like what the fuck am i talking about you know what i mean but also i like the thing i can't retreat from that i have to engage with it and so the other way to think about this is to encourage developers to uh push themselves to find ways to create that feeling in me without me holding a gun um, and does that make sense? Like, that's part yeah. of the work I think we're doing here. Cameron Kunzelman's column today was like a fucking Cameron and I were up very late last night. Like we threw out two drafts of that thing and started it completely fresh, basically. Um, and he gets to that point. So, so make sure to go read that today on, on the site because the takeaway ended up being about like, the t- the takeaway end of the being there was a point last night where we were just like we should just kill this whole piece this whole piece is trash this is it's like we can't fucking do it it's it's gone uh, and and I'm like we just like went back and forth and finally he was like like really the thing I want to get at is that is that video games have too many death wishes and not enough Black Panthers and I was like oh. Nice. Fucking, why did you write that like three days ago? We wouldn't be in this situation. So go read that piece. It's up on the site by the time you hear this. Yeah, I um. So with with all of this, uh, I'm always going to be the person who gets really introspective and really navel gazy, uh, because of course everything has to be personal with me. But I always wonder, and I want to put this as a question to sort of the room here. Uh, it relates to the piece that I wrote as well, which we already talked about uh, on the on the, sort of the last podcast on the podcast a couple of days ago. Uh, but how do you feel about your own sort of power fantasies that relate to this stuff, right? Like you're, you're saying a little bit about this, Austin, but I, I'm always like really weirded out by my like good mm-hmm. guy with a gun fantasies, right? Like I don't think of them in that way, right? But that's essentially what they are. I, I totally. have the same sort of military fetish that I think a lot of nerds do where I love watching Battlestar Galactica and looking at the uniforms and looking at how cool right. and badass people are. Or even beyond that, we, we've yeah. had a lot of conversations about like, you want to be a good person who can save the world. Like, exactly. I want to be our, action hero awesome. Yeah. And that, yeah. in our culture, 
90% of the time involves having a gun in, in all of our media, across games, across movies, across TV. Again, I don't think this is a symptom of games exclusively, but it, of course, is something I think about all the time. Why do I think women in uniforms are hot and have guns? Like, why? Why Why all this stuff, right? Good, good question. And, well, I mean, I, I'm not saying we can all answer hot. it. Right. No. They are. There's something fetishistic about the way we look at militarization, like in our culture and, and, and not even just militarization, of course, but like having right. that power to affect change, a.k.a. take people's lives. Right. That's so much of what we do in terms of entertainment. Um, yeah. I wonder how you guys wrestle wall. with that. Yeah. Right. Like, that's the thing. The yes. brick wall is like the least, uh, you know, appealing thing in the world. Like, <laughs> right. cool. I I did a little tiny bit of a thing that may Could never lead anywhere. Yeah. But like the general who commands, uh, I mean, Rob, you can probably talk to this better than me. Like the general who commands a, a, a battalion, the the sniper, you know, who holds the fort down by themselves against all odds. Like, oh, look at how obvious this is and how powerful <laughs> it makes me because I can do things quickly, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of that we valorize people who create something like the idea that people can great people can come along and create action from nothing, create outcomes from nothing. Uh, you know, it's the we, we valorize people who create a new status quo, but like uh, the idea of maintaining or improving or building those brick walls is never valorized at all. It doesn't come up. People actively try to avoid that work. Um and I think, like, that's perfectly understandable because I think, the, like, series like maybe, maybe you know, from what I've inferred, some of what Far Cry is doing, is this idea that it's alluring, the idea that there can be an enemy that we can then just pick up a gun and go defeat, and then everything's going to be cool. Yeah. It will be great. <laughs> that is really, really alluring because the truth is we don't agree on nearly as much as we like to think. Uh, even among people we consider our allies, you get down to the brass tacks of like what you all envision for the new status quo to replace the one we've got. You know, what shape will that take? You'll discover a shit ton of you know, fracture points. You'll discover a lot of tensions that have to be negotiated and it won't be fun. It'll suck. It'll turn friends slightly at odds with each other. Uh, it'll cause tons of compromises that nobody wants to make and that aren't cool and sexy. Or you could cross the Rubicon with your army <laughs> and sweep aside the old order and put everything right in one go and then cut to credits. You know, just like yep. immediately like hard, hard to black. Uh, and Are we talking about John Bolton here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, right? Like that is the thing. Is like so. This is the thing. I mean, like, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, bomb Iran, bomb, bomb Iraq. Bomb the road North to Korea. democracy goes through Baghdad. That right, so, was the. Patrick, can you actually speak a little bit about John Bolton? Like, I don't, I don't think this is. I'm not being facetious. Like, I think that that's a, a perfectly. I think it's a perfectly good topic of yeah. conversation given the subject <laughs> and like given the the direness of that appointment and given the larger question of like what is the culture how does the culture get made and and as Rob said how do key people get put in place and how and wield power in a way that is uh d dangerous uh and how does culture like prevent us from engaging with that shit and stopping it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Trump recently announced that he's going to replace his national security advisor, um, H.R. Uh, McMaster, with uh, John Bolton. John Bolton, who I think for a lot of people who are like 
a millennial age may not like fully like remember or like it'd be plenty of reason for you not really understand other than like he had a bushy mustache and he worked for George Bush, but he was like a, you know bushy one of the chief on architects ends. of yes yeah a chief architect of the Iraq War um, like is someone who has predominantly over his career uh, advocated for the the use of. Uh, 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 war, uh, for, uh, you know, first uh, strike in order to sort of uh, rather than like slow diplomacy, it's like, well, you strike first and then you figure out, you know, what the conclusion is in the rubble later. Um, and you would think that, you know, like the complete failure of the, the Iraq war would like maybe get has, you know, at least, you know, whatever my begrudgings with a lot of like Republicans and neocons are like, at least there's been some acknowledgement. They're like, I guess that didn't totally work the way we meant it to. <laughs> mm. um, even that's not like the full <laughs> acknowledgement I'm looking for. Like it's at least one step in that direction. Um, I think you're kind of half imagining that step, buddy. Yeah. Like, well, it, it, like I think like, <laughs> like this is, there is an impulse. I, I want to say in liberal circles, to see the faintest acknowledgement of the magnitude of their fuck-ups sure, from yes, the right wing yes. as like, ah, oh, see, this is maybe somebody I can reel with. There's a human like, behind there. Is- <laughs> a little bit. There's a human, maybe. Is there a human? No? Yeah. Right, like... All, all, all I'm saying is like, th- yes, I'm. it's still bullshit, but at least like... That like the performance is that there is some sort of performative act in the age of Trump to like ah whereas like with John Bolton he's like nah fuck all that like recently written like in the last like two years editorial saying like the solution to North Korea is a first strike military oh, option God. like the thing to the the reason the, the way to get rid of Iran's nuclear bomb is just to to bomb Iran and is paid to go to Iran to speak on that topic of regime change. Like, that is, like, the idea... That is John Bolton through and through. He's not even doing the performance of maybe there were lessons to learn. He took money from MEK, right? Yes. Um, And so he has been installed as the national security... Or will be uh, next month, or the next month, as national security advisor to uh, uh, Donald Trump and uh, brings with that, you know, that ideology, that mentality. And, like, it is it essentially, like, the idea that, like, the, the U.S. can solve everything through its military might will just go in, sweep out the bad guys, put in the good guys, and it'll be fine. And, like, 16 years into the Iraq War, like, that's, no, like, that's not how it works. That didn't work in Vietnam. Like, come on. Like, and, and like, that, that, that does speak, to, I think that speaks to, like, like, John Bolton is, like, the, the neocon, like, like, fucked up, like, extremely uh, uh, far-right version of that, even though, like, when we talk about Battlestar Galacta, we're thinking in, like, like you know, uh, Nazi terms of, like, there's a good guy, there's a bad guy, the good guys just come in, get rid of the bad guys, and it's all fine, and, like, speaking to Rob's point, like, actually, it's a whole lot messier and bad and compromised, and, like, the idea that right. you just swoop in with American military and it's all good, like, there's very little, pr- no proof that that's actually how it works. <laughs> Well, like, and it, it even, it's funny because the, there was something in that fantasy of the good guys come in and sweep in uh, and take out the bad guys. That is a conservative fantasy because the notion is that the problem is a tumor or is a yeah. cancer on the status quo. Um, I'm about to write a lot about this with Far Cry 5. Yeah. Um, that the, 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 the villains, the bad guys, if, if you can, if you can, if in removing them, you protect, you, you make things better. That means that the the state before the bad guys were there was a okay. Um, I, I mean, I get frustrated a lot with liberal uh, uh, pundits who talk about Donald Trump in this way, right? Who frame Donald Trump as a unique, a uh, uniquely malicious line of uh, of attack from the right that that as if he doesn't share traits or as if he is not the logical extension of a larger 
uh, ongoing thing. Uh, sorry, my whole computer just like blacked out for a second. I got very worried. Okay. Um, <laughs> they're they're hacking me right they're, now. They're you also buzz like you. the uh, rebel comes in Star Wars. Okay, good. Really good. <laughs> That's good. Um, I hope it's all on the file. We'll see. Um, the there is a line of thought inside of certain liberal circles that Donald Trump is a uniquely malicious, a uniquely cruel version of, or, 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 not even a version of, a unique thing versus being an extension of long running policy ideas, long running uh, kind of uh, ideologies. Uh, and he doesn't like, I want to be clear, there are things he that is that are unique about him, <laughs> lots sure. of them, but he exists inside of a, of a context and, and in, inside of a, of a, uh, of a continuity of, uh, of ideas that already had a place. Um, He's saying and, the soft part loud in right. the Republican ideology, the Republican orthodoxy has been saying, you know, dog, dog whistles, whistling. saying, yeah. Yeah. saying, there's a reason they say, you know, you say the soft part soft because you don't want other people to hear. And Donald Trump just said it and right. then capitalized it's, on it. But it doesn't, it doesn't remove him from the general tumor, like uh, cancerous, like ideology that existed for decades. Right. And so the difference there is that, like, I don't think that, I think getting rid of Donald Trump, having Trump impeached, uh, finding out what, listen, Mueller. Like do some work. Like, keep 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 hustling, homie. Uh, and I think that that's too, important. So, yeah. yeah, he's also yeah. listening. He's and on I'm this call. Listening totally. Um, the the. I think getting getting rid of him would be a good thing, but that does not address that the underlying factors are still fucked, right? Like getting rid of Donald Trump does not bring us back to an imagined post-racial state. Right. Like those people still voted for him. And I think that gets out again what Rob talked about, which is that the guns are a wedge issue. People vote on guns. Gun culture is supported by an entire network of cultural production. We grow up, I grew up having a, if I grew up in a slightly different world, not only would I have favorite guns, I would care about having access to those guns and would be, you know, very easily pushed into voting so that I would have access to those guns. Um, (laughs) Even if that access would actually maybe not be under as much threat as was being, as was being told to me. (laughs) Um, And once that happens, that is how you get to John Bolton being appointed. Right. Um, and, and so it isn't, I mean, it, th- here's the funny thing is like the fantasy of the, of the immediate change, the fantasy of the we can fix this with a gun is itself a brick in the wall of conservative ideology. Yes. They are moving slowly. They're moving super slowly. You can go back and look at some of the work that Newt Gingrich did as a, in the 1980s when he was like at think tanks. And what he's doing there is setting up the future dog whistles. Like there are, there are literally documents that, that he wrote. Um, you have to understand that like that, that Gingrich was part of an on, is part of a like kind of an academic uh, heritage actually that, that goes well, back it's like to with some, the, the, the Koch academic. brothers like established yeah. like, yeah. you know, decades decades ago realizing yes, that if yes. you establish if you establish think tanks if, like the, yes. the, the 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 think tank uh, uh, or the think tank sort of movement in the GOP was a response to perceived liberal bias in academia right. which was that the only way to respond to like the, the liberal socialization of culture was right. to make up like your own other side of it and so 100%. the response was for the Koch brothers go read there's a, a great a book called Dark Money that like gets into the mm-hmm. whole history of this but like essentially what happened for decades was like you set up these think tanks and then they're around forever and then you put those people on in quoted in newspapers they go on cable news and like they just put out 
academic papers that push a, a, a an ideology that sounds legitimate because it's being it's being presented in the same way that like academia happens well, and then yes this is the thing that's so wild to me about gingrich specifically is he actually comes out of a marxist heritage what? his mm. Yeah, it's it's oh, wild. Really? His, I did not know. Yeah, that. so his yeah. his uh, Marxist is probably sure, a, a Marxian, let's say, sure, sure. Uh, sure. heritage. Uh, his one of his mentors was this guy named Alvin Toffler, who was a futurist who was concerned with labor rights and 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 labor activism, um, and specifically about about technology. Uh, he he ended up being this person who was advocating for the post-industrial society for, you know, moving away from mass production Fordist style production and moving towards kind of service industry stuff, more technological revolution stuff. And Gingrich ends up taking a lot of those ideas and then and then in the 80s, building them out to being about ideology and specifically like, here are the phrases that we need to use in order to start slowly changing the frame of debate and the gun rights ad gun rights was a huge part of that like gun rights was a very specific i mean this is one of those things that i think again like we're all very we are all very young people in the scope of american politics um and and it's wild to think that in our lives gun the gun debate was invented like yeah. all of us are over 30 uh and so there was a time when we were alive that that the gun debate barely existed compared to where it's at now the yeah. nra only became the nra of our, of our modern imaginations when an, an a sect inside of it through a coup and and changed it from being a group about like sportsmanship a, a group about like gun maintenance to being a political organization you should that, go read like if you have not read the, about there was some podcast i listened to that like like did a thorough but like go uh, read about that yeah, moment was it a when planet the, money was it what was that that was a it was fairly recent planet right? money or something like that but there was go like go just go to research for like about the moment when the nra switched from being like a hobbyist organization yeah. and was just co-opted by a bunch of people secretly and they flipped it in the middle of a meeting in a way that literally was it's a coup it is unbelievable it, you will not believe it because you it's um, it sounds unbelievable when it's told to you. This is fascinating uh, was, and so upsetting. It was uh, Radio Lab from last year okay. called yes. the Gun Show. Yes, yes. Um, yes. worth worth uh, listening to. Wow, uh, I believe the Gun Show is part of um, it is part of their uh, Radio Lab separate podcast. Oh, you're called, right. Um, more perfect. It was more, more perfect, perfect, which is yeah, yeah, a yeah. really long um, uh, uh, analysis of like uh, court cases, like related to race, guns, sex. Go like go listen to that more podcast perfect. if you find any of that stuff like yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always to this today. Yeah, yeah. You should definitely <laughs> listen to. It. As always, their stuff is like super interesting if you're coming at it from the left the way I think a lot of us are, which mm -hmm. is like you can see where they're still like a little bit in their way, but also every now and then you're like. Oh, Oh shit! Like you really, you really went there. What was the there was a This American Life recently that went some. Someone is in a loud motorcycle <laughs> they are listening to you, what Austin. Is happening? They are this listening is to you. They are. Um, there was a This American Life recently that went somewhere that I had like I was. Sh oh, it was this. And it, there was this whole thing about like it was a, like an anti-centrist This American Life episode. Wow. It's literally about like going hard at the Dems for not for not like. Uh, uh, picking up their the the kind of uh, more radical elements that that bubbled up during the last election, it was unbelievable. It was really really weird. Go listen to that. I too. have homework anyway. for this week. Yeah, I'm giving, you, giving everybody homework. <laughs> yeah. God. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I do want to ask, I mean, this is... This is fascinating, and I need to do a lot more homework, absolutely, uh, on all of this. I do want to ask, and this is the the hardest question maybe that we're going to have, before I get into questions, because we do have some really good questions as well. Um, What do we do about this as players of games, and what do we tell our fans as players of games uh, who who might enjoy playing shooters, who might enjoy the feeling of a gun, the way a shotgun feels, or, or that kind of thing? What do we do? And this is a question that comes up constantly, right? And I know the whole thing about no ethical consumption under uh, capitalism. I get, I, I get it, and I'm there. But also, this is the world we live in. This is the field that we work in. What do we do about it? How do we do this dance? And how do we rectify things uh, to to the degree that we can uh, where we are right now? And I think it's doing this, right? It's yeah. talking about it. It's like it's like actually just like rather than like running away from the contradictions, it's it's like embracing those contradictions and like wrestling with like the messy emotions and react. It's like yeah, it's like being able to look at a game and to be like, man, that's a sexy reloading animation. Like that is <laughs> fucking cool. But then realizing like that's okay. Mm, like yes, why do I think it's cool? It is but. a good reloading animation, but. It's like it's and I think that's fine, right? Like you can have like those things think like that's why, you know, seeing some of like uh, uh, gaming's worst actors, like in the way they've talked around like the work that we've been trying to do this week, like pulling out like conclusions that we're not trying to draw. It's more just saying like there isn't like it doesn't fall in one way or the other. It's more just saying like it falls in a lot of directions and like we can ignore it or we can just say shit's messy and like let's try and work through like why it feels messy because that doesn't mean you can't like i'm going to sit and enjoy a bunch of violent video games this year but like i want to talk about like why i enjoy those parts or maybe what part of those like i need to close more closely examine and like you know that's i think there's nothing wrong with that but you can still love games and be like "Mm." yeah Mm." totally Totally. one of the stories i worked on this week was about um how the picatinny rail changed how both how guns are depicted in video games and the way they are marketed and made uh the picatinny rail is basically what uh and this was a piece by kelsey atherton and uh, ian boudreau uh who wrote for us this week they did a great job on it uh but basically it was an attachment point that was like a standard component that was added to rifle barrels so that uh people could for instance, like sling a flashlight on the underside of a firearm or place a uh, you know laser dot sight on it or attach whatever optics they wanted. And so it's why like the M4 carbine, if you see like uh, soldiers and police carrying it, it often has a very different appearance, might vary from individual to individual based on like how people have customized it. And that's made its way into games. And one of the reasons this story interested me is because... That is not just a neutral thing that happened. Like there was, yeah. there was intent behind that. Some of it was functional. Some of it is the gun is just a device. Like the gun is just a device that fulfills mechanical function. Its context varies a great deal, uh, but this w- th- these were functional changes made to guns. But there actually was sort of a method and intent behind the shift in gun culture as well. It transformed guns into custom vanity items in a way they hadn't been before it 
allowed gun manufacturers and uh, sort of after part makers to create sort of a to intertwine uh, a user's personal identity with their fucking hobby in a way it had never been. Yeah. Like suddenly, yeah, everyone had had their rifle before that, but like suddenly this really was like your AR-15 in a way that it was not other people's. The same thing we see happen over in video games where it's this move toward tons of gun cosmetics. Uh, every gun now is customizable. Do you want uh, you know, special, a rare sight, uh, a vanity skin, all these things. And to a degree, this is just, you know, people like cool shit that, you know, if you're, if you're a gun owner, you're like your gun to be a little more personalized and maybe look a little more uh, what you think looks badass and ditto in games. But at the same time, there's an element of, if you're not careful with that, there's a reason people want you to invest some part of yourself in this thing, in this object. Like, there's, there's, a, way, there's, there's a way of getting you to invest more of yourself than you otherwise would have into something that was previously just functional and commonplace in every day. And suddenly it's part of you in a way it wasn't before. And that's a powerful thing. Like, that's something we should be mindful of and awake to the ramifications of. That's identity, right? Yeah. Like that's the difference between yeah, like and that's that's like the shift, right? Like that's what the like the, going back to the yeah. the NRA shift. Like it was a shift from like ha- helping people manage a hobby to an identity. Like it be it was yes. it be, guns became part of who you are, and maybe that was true for some people, but not nearly to the degree that it was when the NRA made a shift. And I think the customization culture, which obviously plays out in both real life and video games. Is part of that. I mean, hell, that plays out in video. Like that's Gamergate. It's gaming yeah. as an identity, and like that's when that's when things you love uh, or, or appreciate. Like that's when it gets dark and dangerous. When it becomes part of your identity, because then it becomes inexorably tied to you and what you represent and how you're presented to the world. And that's when shit gets really weird, really fast. And people can turn it on you because, like, if you're not aware of that, you're not aware of the degree to which you become invested. You've not knowingly yes. become this tied up into something external to you that previously you didn't have this relationship with. And you might uncritically think like, Hey, this is just the status quo. Like this is always how it's been. What do you mean? There's a broader, like this, like what do you mean? There's a broader context to all of this. This is just, this is just the shit I like. This is just what I do. This is just my hobby. (laughs) Right. Right. Except somewhere along the line, somebody changed your relationship to it. And if you're not hip to how that happened, then you've opened sort of back doors into your psychology that weren't there before and you're not aware of. And that's just dangerous. And I think that's one of the reasons it's worth examine everything, like be critical of everything. It doesn't mean you're like, it doesn't mean that because I fucking have a lot of feelings about the look of my weapons in destiny, for instance, when I do play (laughs) destiny, that doesn't mean that like I'm complicit in a culture that like has created mass shootings, but it, does mean that there's a part of me that is in dialogue with a broader context around guns and violence and how we relate to them. It's not a causal relationship, but it's something to bear in mind and to always question whose interests these depictions serve and what their sort of hidden curriculum is. What are the lessons uh, that they're sort of imparting to you that you might not be aware of? Totally. Uh, it's funny because Danielle, you actually wrote a piece this week yeah. that is uh, that c- kind of is about the opposite, which is someone who became hyper aware of the content of, of of their games and like specifically the ways in which guns. 
it's a really great piece. Uh, the, the ways in which team guns... effort you all helped edit, so thank you. Yeah, thank of course. You. I, I, but that's every piece. Like, I want to be clear, real quick. No, I know. Like, I know. I moved the graph. But for people listening, for people yeah. listening who don't know this, because like this is a conversation that bubbled up this week in in on Twitter. Oh yes, yes. There are often people who <laughs> help make a piece come together that are behind the scenes yes. and who don't get a byline. Editors don't get bylines in this industry. If you touched a piece, it doesn't go on the. It goes internally. It goes internally, so that if someone fucked up, there is. Yep. There is repercussion. <laughs> like you have to fill on a thing on our back end that says who edited a given piece, so that if it's, if there's a mistake there, the higher ups can hold that person accountable. That's but, why I always put Austin Walker. Just that's <laughs> totally. I mean, you don't even need to. Anything that goes on the site, that's on me. Yep. Like at the end of the oh, day. Uh, by the way, Austin, you changed your password recently. I need to. Oh, I need yeah. you to update yeah. your credentials on my PC. Um, so that's the thing. <laughs> We're all just using one account. It's like when you work retail and you can't be fucked to like actually log into the register. You just use your friends who stays logged One, two, in three, four, and your yeah. and your yeah, exactly and your count is wrong at the end of the night and it's like well who fucked up who's 20 you're, you're registered 20 dollars short why why is this person's name wrong in this article austin yep. like anyway oh. my point is uh everybody touches a lot of article or like not every article necessarily but a lot of articles have multiple people on the on the uh on the back end um doing you know editing doing copy edits doing structural edits so even though my name might not be on every piece or danielle's name isn't on every piece like a lot of us are working together on these things. Patrick just helped me put together the Ian the Ian Williams piece on game unions, which you should or on the the, the kind of push towards unionization. And Danica like, constantly you know, is helping with headlines, constantly absolutely. doing copy edits. So hundred percent, routinely and like, catching uses of language that. I don't have the eyes for yes. like help, like helping me like get phrasing to be a little more precise and sensitive. totally like phrases super useful shit you know uh, lots of great phrases like fit are are, <laughs> are added uh, and explained anyway um, fit, but anyway you know? yeah. the the point Danielle uh, is that you wrote about someone who actually did the opposite thing which is became hyper aware of yeah. guns and games can you talk about that yeah, a little absolutely bit? and it's interesting so uh just to give the the quick background in case you didn't I, I talked about it a tiny tiny bit the last podcast but i interviewed ben burbank who was a friend of mine uh friendly with him uh he works at campo santo he used to work at double fine uh and has for years actually always tried to play games sort of pacifist and not just games but uh, shooters especially call of duty games far cry games you know he cites destiny as well uh without ever firing a gun um, and he's kind of always done this and always kind of just found it more interesting and more fun to do this this way. But in 2015, his family, his uh, wife and I think he has two children uh, were – they're OK. I have to always preface with that. But they were at the scene of a mass shooting. They were directly threatened by a gunman uh, in, in a parking lot. Uh, apparently his wife was actually really close to the shooter. She saw him and she ducked at like the right moment kind of thing. Uh, so he got this text message. That just says, I want you to know we're okay, but we were just involved in, in a shooting. Like, we almost mm-hmm. just died, basically. Uh, and his, his kids are young. I think uh, his son was six at the time of the shooting. He's nine now. And uh, his, his, I believe he has, also has a daughter who's even younger. Um, and he says, I have not felt comfortable at all shooting a game, like squeezing the trigger on uh, a gun in a video game since that happened. And they were even involved in uh, another sort of close call, which is – so ridiculous and, and so insane. But there was another – they were involved in sort of a lockdown at a park where there was another gunman sort of running wild. So really, really terrifying stuff. And uh, Ben's a really thoughtful guy, the smart dude. You know, he's a programmer um, at uh, you know, 
for game development and has always, uh, even for years, sort of always uh, tried to implement solutions and other gameplay solutions in the games he's worked on that don't involve guns, basically. Uh, so mm-hmm. this was almost like proving his point to a degree in like, you know, a near tragedy or two near tragedies were almost sort of proving his point that he's just uncomfortable with guns and games. And he just thinks like, hey, you know what? There's actually more... Both it makes me feel weird because of what's happened in my family and also it's more interesting and more fun to do other things in games or to find those other solutions in games. Even games that are meant to be shooters. You know, Call of Duty, the primary mechanic is walking forward and shooting. There are, you know, there are other mechanics, of course, there's other modes of interaction uh, and he prefers to use those. Uh, but, yeah, just sort of finding the tricks in the fun ways. And there was actually a really fun little quote he said where, hey, hey devs, like, put an achievement in your games, uh, even your, like, violent games, even your games that are about shooting. Put an achievement in there for people who, like, never want to shoot your game. And that'll be, like, almost like a little reward. Like, that'll be cool. You know, these are actually ways of making your games more interesting and engaging uh, that just happen to not have to do with guns. Uh, and he's not, to be clear, he's not, like, a... a hundred percent pacifist player he's like yeah you know melee attacks are okay that that sort of thing that's how we got through destiny for example uh but yeah right. just really interesting right. interesting perspective and and holy shit i i'm i'm friendly with him and i didn't even know about the near shooting like i didn't even know that part right you just knew that he like oh yeah he does he does this he just does this and sometimes. you know when he when i was i was basically asking him because uh you know Talking about this piece, it was actually a little bit more nebulous of a piece. It was going to be, you know, various people who play pacifists and, and sort of getting why why do you play pacifists? That's interesting. Still a good idea. Yeah. If you play pacifist <laughs> games, right in. I'm interested. Talk to Danielle. I'm interested. Uh, but when he kind of told me why he plays pacifist now, as opposed to kind of how he's always played pacifist, it was like, oh, I think I have a, a topic here. <laughs> I think I have yeah, like a more narrow totally. focus. So yeah. it was really interesting to see him talk about like if he ever did make a game. With- yes guns like that definitely was for me the thing that stood out like it would have to be a game where i think what was his exact do you remember his it was exact like, phrasing? i can pull it up but it was it was wow. basically like i only ever shoot once and it really means something that's paraphrasing yeah like uh, it but... changes the world completely you know if you pull the trigger um and that's one of those things it's like the other thing we i think we can do from our position is to encourage developers to take those risks and make games like that and yeah. to talk about them when they do like um both as as journalist critics but also as fans right like Push yourself to go play things that use guns differently. Patrick, you wrote about Receiver this week, a game that takes guns from like a whole different position. And the game, I think it's probably slipped out of the public consciousness a little bit. Yeah, it was an experimental game jam game that came out in 2012. Uh, if uh, familiar with like the the rabbit 3D action game uh, overgrowth that was in development for like seven, eight years. It was doing early access before uh, games even had thought of that as a sort of a business model. And anyway, uh, one of their uh, one of the Game Jam games they did in mid-development was uh, uh, the designer, uh, David Rosen, did a game called uh, Receiver, which was uh, fairly popular at the time uh, when it came out and has been, kind of been forgotten a little bit because it was 2012 and they haven't built anything on the game. I can't believe it's been six yeah, years since yeah. Receiver. Yes. What is happening? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the, and the, and the concept behind it was that he, uh, uh, when I chatted with him, like he grew up a big fan of the X-Files and, um, he wanted to dress as Fox Mulder, uh, for Halloween one year and was able to go on a, there was a, da- a database that like listed like the specifics of like, uh, Mulder's character, including like the gun that he had in specific episodes. And he fi- managed to buy a toy replica of, um, uh, one of the guns that Mulder uh, ran around with and, like, you know, pulled it apart and was, like, playing with, like, the springs and, like, just, like, ended up, like, realizing, oh, there's a lot more to guns than just pulling the trigger. And so for his Game Jam game, he wanted to sort of, like, convey that 
feeling like in a game somehow. And so receiver, which is like a very simple sort of roguelike, you're just with a very limited sort of narrative framing. Um, you're kind of just like fighting off drones and, and turrets while uh, exploring uh, this uh, uh, this kind of like nondescript warehouse. Uh, the way, and you have this one gun that you spawn into the world with. And uh, what's different about it is that instead of just hitting reload to, uh, you know, put more bullets in the chamber uh, or into the clip rather, uh, or is it magazine? I get the terms mixed up. Anyway, yeah. uh, to, to, to get more bullets, it's not just hitting R and, like, watching an animation loop. You actually have to, you know, like, pull the gun apart, um, individually put uh, uh, more bullets in, make sure that it's chambered. It's not – like, once you put the bullets in, it doesn't mean that, like, you can just hit fire. Um, you actually have to chamber the bullet. Um, when you spawn into the game, um, it randomizes, like, the, 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 the way the gun is set up. So it's possible that you load into the world with no bullets God, I forgot uh, in about the gun. That. That you you uh you can load into the world where you you've got the bullets in it's in the chamber and you fire and nothing happens oh right that's because the safety's on and it's the idea that he he wanted players to just think about guns as like a complicated object that is not as much, it's not just left trigger right trigger or like point the mouse and shoot like there's actually a lot more that goes into them they are like a complicated uh objects and uh yeah it's interesting because he sort of at the end said that now that overgrowth is out and given sort of the conversation that's happening around gun violence gun culture like he he wonders if there's like a world where like taking the lessons of receiver as a game jam like if there are like broader implications for like a, a more uh, ambitious game design so he's gonna take a, a closer look at receiver and see if there's something more he could do with it because i do like it when i was looking i was hoping when i originally was thinking of the idea i was like oh right receiver was like it did that surely more games have done something like that since and someone has pointed out there's a vr game that actually does like play in the same thing which i can imagine vr where you actually have these controllers where you can like individually play uh with a uh, the intricacy of a gun i could see that being like really fascinating but still like by and large like video games have not engaged with the idea of treating like the the gun as an object as more than just the left trigger right trigger and uh you know hit r to reload and uh i, I think there's definitely a space uh, uh, for you, at least at the very least, like understanding the complexity of uh, the object that we have simplified uh, in video games. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And there was another piece, uh, not about that specifically, but about sort of guns as cultural objects that went up from the the folks at Bullet Points uh, that that gets it at least some of that weight, if not the specifics of how receiver also works. So, yeah, lots of lots of guns, lots of guns and games this week. Um, I'm not going to ask our first question because I think we actually already addressed it uh, in Patrick and in what yeah, you were talking totally. about in your interview. Uh, but I do have a couple questions here uh, related to Guns and Games, uh, our theme this week. Uh, this one comes in from Daniel in Kentucky. Uh, Daniel writes, after the announcement of Far Cry 5 being set in Montana, I started seeing comments about how that seems boring compared to the locations in previous Far Cry games. This left me with conflicting thoughts. On one hand, I do want to see the vibrant locations I haven't seen before in video games, and I want to have fun in them. On the other hand, it does irk me that the only times I see locations I want to see are in violent games, like Far Cry or Hitman. He uses this example. <clears throat> do you think this is an odd situation as well? Isn't it weird that in games like Far Cry or Uncharted, you're trying to kill people in a beautiful and interesting uh, cultural locations? Yeah. Uh, sometimes in these games, I wish I could just stop and enjoy the views that developers put a lot of time into creating, but I can't because I got to go kill that next enemy. Thanks and take care. Daniel in Kentucky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those other games got to sell more so they can get the budget. Yeah. Well, that's like <laughs> that's I mean, that's... The, the terrifying thing, right, is like so much of this does come down to budget and risk. 
uh, and an industry that is risk averse. Yeah. Um, Ubisoft. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Assassin's Creed Origins just launched that education mode, right? I th- I th- but I think that's right. Like that's actually like if we're talking like like pragmatically, what is more likely to happen? It's right. not that the you know gone homes of the world i mean that game sold well but i mean like sort of like yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of like writ large like it's not that like those types of games are going to suddenly like click and just start selling tens of millions of copies and we're going to get like really expansive like nonviolent worlds i think it's actually more likely that we are to see like how can these games that are able to pull off the budget and scale that we want like it's awesome that that you and i like assassin's creed origins but like what i like even more is that they thought, well, what's a different way we can re like repurpose the world that we have built? And so, hopefully, that like what Ubisoft did in trying to create sort of you know an educational layer to their game is like I'd love to see more developers repurpose what they've built for violent means. Yeah. It's like, are there ways that we can rejigger this world in different ways, present it in different contexts um, that take advantage of like the only reason we can justify building this is because people are going to jump around right. shooting things. So like, are there other ways that we can re- reuse it um, in, in a way that accomplishes or at least, uh, you know, does something similar to what Ubisoft is doing? I think that's more likely to be the outcome than Did any than of the you other stuff. ever play The Hunter? No. Mm-mm. I want to say this was... Um... So it was made by like a like a small team within Avalanche, I want to say, and I think it was using the like Just huh. Cause Two engine, but it was a deer hunting game, huh. or at least okay. that was the free mode. Eventually, you could like buy licenses to hunt other things. You could go like boar hunting in that world or turkey hunting, uh, but it was for its era, and I would still say is just a gorgeous like outdoor wilderness sim uh, in, huh. in a lot of ways. Like you spend a lot of time like. Tracking deer, like looking for trampled grass where they might have bedded down, uh, you know, tracking deer shit, uh, you know, where did they browse leaves in the forest? Like, you know, you can tell where they've been feeding. Uh, you sort of go up and you sit real still long enough for the deer to feel a little more comfortable and you hear the deer start to like call to each other and you know where they are. And I don't know if they ever did do a nonviolent mode, but like... The act of actually shooting, like, you you were going through this world with a rifle, uh, but it was, like, a single-shot rifle, and, like, it, like, setting up for that one shot could take, like, 30, 40 minutes, right? Like, right. Uh, so it was the whole experience of just being out in this really gorgeous, uh, you know, forested island, uh, which I just totally adored. But it also occurred to me, like, there was nothing about that that had to be inherently violent. It could have been, like, an outdoor nature of photography, uh, sim yeah, in right. some ways, right? Like, I think you made that today with a good photo mode. Uh, you actually could make a really tense, gripping game around that, right? And you, you apply this sort of stuff to a lot of different settings. But I think the trick is walking around a really nice recreation of Montana sounds <laughs> fucking boring to me. Like, I mean, it sounds nice. Like, I would like, I would love that for like twenty minutes. And I'd be like, all right, that's that's oh man, look at that look at that mountain in the distance. This is amazing. This is great. <laughs> Wish I could hunt somebody in here. Like <laughs> like but there needs to be something did you say somebody. Did, yeah. did you say somebody? Once or some... told me. Oh my god. Mm. Uh, anyway. Oh no. But oh, no. the point is you need something to engage with in that world like the fun thing about hiking is that hiking is exhausting but also you're constantly picking trails and trying to navigate and like right, finding your footing right. you need something to mentally engage with so it's not just a 
trip through sort of an airless open world nature museum because that's not totally. fun it's not actually cool so, the way nature is two things one there was a sequel to this game it came out last year i'm surprised you haven't played it uh, also there's an expansion for the original or the new one that involved dinosaurs wow. which okay. yo that's awesome okay, that's all right so the new one is called the hunter call of the wild it's funny because like the way they bum, sell bum, it bum, is bum, actually bum. <laughs> it's actually in line with what you're talking about like they say experience the thrill of the hunt this is just like the little short bl- yeah. blurb experience the thrill of the hunt in a visually breathtaking technically groundbreaking vast open world immerse yourself in the atmospheric single player campaign or share the ultimate hunting experience with friends but even then like in like the long bit where they was like feature 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 like yes the first thing is a next generation hunting experience where they go into all of the immersive shit but then it's like explore a vast open world by foot or atv explore 50 square miles of varied terrain take on missions and challenges from the locals or go off the beaten path discover lookouts hunting towers and outposts like ride this atv exploring the open world has never been more fun etc so i think it's interesting that they are also selling that thing they recognize that in the original that was part of the appeal the second thing i want to say is actually about far cry 5 because i've replied i finished it last yeah. night again can't get into final thoughts i guess again, he's playing it right now is, as I'm he's playing he's it right now it. and the thing yeah. that i'm doing right now is i'm actually playing my favorite part of the new game which is not about shooting anybody it is about exploration and it gets to what i is there a duck outside? What is happening I'm in my you, neighborhood? You've got Shoot Duck it. Dynasty <laughs> listening in. The call of the wild is here. Bum, bum, yes. bum, bum, bum. Grainy photo of a, <laughs> grainy photo of a mallard. Um, <laughs> delivery of like fuck. an arm shipment out of the back of an old Mercedes SUV. I'm haunted today. Uh, so my favorite thing in Far Cry 5 is actually them finding a new verb or re, re, um, uh, reconfiguring a verb they already had in new ways. Because Patrick's right. One of the ways we're going to get these things is by big budget games, uh, kind of uh, appending uh, uh, a, a non-violent or a, a non-gun, mode. Yeah. a chill mode. Hashtag chill yeah. mode. Catch me on Twitter. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> all right. If I ever, if I, 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 there is a situation that I'm going to say right now. I'm not going to say what the situation is, but you'll know my life has changed in major ways if you ever catch me with hashtag chill mode in my Twitter bio. <laughs> um, okay. The the um, so that's one way to do it is the assassin's creed origins uh, educational experience expansion thing but the the other way is for developers to play with new primary verbs um other than i shoot him right shoot is one of the most shoot and jump are basically the two biggest verbs outside of just like walk or move inside of games uh especially character games where you where you embody a character the things you do there are shoot and and jump (laughs) Um, either you're Mario and you're jumping on things, or you're you're or Mario and you're shooting, and you're, or you're Mario and you're shooting things, which we'll get to That's in the, the next, next question. That's the next question, actually. <laughs> yeah, it is. But yeah. Um, um, and so one of the things to do is is as a developer uh, is to like look for ways to add different things to that, or to play with those things and diversify them. And Far Cry Five actually does it in a really great way with things called prepper stashes, Good. Um, mm. which is like what a yes. fucking what a fucking bad name. But so the the biggest puzzle stashes they're puzzle stashes the the biggest thing for me about far cry 5 all said that's not the biggest thing it's a it's a messy 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 game we'll get to it's, that on mm, monday we'll get to mm, it on monday and yeah. have like a long talk mm, about it mm-hmm. i should have a review up on monday if this weekend goes the way i hope it does um and but but the the one of the biggest things is they got rid of the towers they got rid of the the towers where you add stuff to the map by climbing a tower and seeing everything and at first i thought that was just about game flow i thought you climbed a tower 
uh, you know, climbing the tower in the past was the way that you added things to the map. And so by getting rid of them and kind of having this more organic system of like, oh, I go talk to a person, they add a quest to my map. They say, here's a shrine to go blow up. They say, hey, there's a you know, a cursed deer to go kill or whatever. A, not cursed, but like drugs. <laughs> I heard deer. this guy was building a teleporter. <laughs> right. That is one of the questions. Which is, which, I, that's uh, one I got what? this morning. Maybe Far one crunch? that's like, yeah, 100%. I, I heard that maybe the piss tape was here. Wow. Mm-hmm. There is a piss tape quest in that game. The piss tape. You <laughs> recover the piss tape in Far Cry wow. 5. And then you give it to Donald Trump. This is no. not a joke. Yep. What? This Spoilers game. for a mm-hmm. tiny side quest in Far Cry 5. You give it to the CIA, to a CIA agent who's loyal to Donald Trump. It's not no. good. Anyway. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not a, mm, it sounds funnier than I it actually is. I hope we made a yeah. thousand copies. No, no, it's the journalist. opposite. It's like literally you are doing the job of making sure it doesn't get out. Oh, boy. Anyway. The thing, the other thing that getting rid of towers did is it freed up the developers to use the elements from the towers in different places in that game. So previously, the on top of being where you get your your missions added to the map, they were all towers are also the place where players experience verticality and where they experienced light puzzle solving, light uh, kind of platform puzzles. Um, where it's like, okay, how the fuck do I get up this thing? Like, okay, where's the next, like, blue, like, uh, rope hanging that I know I can climb up to? Where's the grapple point? How do I, like, unpack this little puzzle in my mind? And those are gone now because towers are gone now. And so now those can go other places. And so the world is filled with these stashes that are puzzled, that are little puzzles, but they're also, like, now, because they're not just all towers, they get to be environmental set pieces. They get to do, like, a little bit of uh, environmental storytelling in a way that I did not expect at all. Um, and so some of them are very basic. Some of them are just like, um, okay, you know that there's like equipment inside of this prepper stash, uh, but the door is locked and the door and, and, it, and the stash is flooded. Uh, and so you need to turn on the power to get the door and then also drain the water from the from the stash. The so you go down and drain yeah. the swamp. You have to drain the swamp. Thank you. Uh, uh, that was like basic. But there's one that I found. Um, a lot of them are not basic. Like this isn't an exception. The bulk of them are not basic. One of them is just a haunted house you walk through, and it's like they, you know they they feel like the the vaults in Fallout. Yes, with, without being nearly as expansive. Very as small. What did. Yes, but they feel like they they're riffing on the same thing where it feels like there's a little bit of storytelling yep. and thematic uh, trappings on top of like. You know, whatever it is platform the you're best doing place to get to it. that they show how people reacted when the cult like decided to do the reaping. Mm-hmm. So there's like one where you find a note that's just like we keep sending like it's from the cult basically. That's like we keep sending people after this guy. He's too good. Like we can't get in there. And you <laughs> like like and he has a key to get into his stash, and we want the stuff in the stash. And so you do this sort of like Far Cry like turn to eleven version of the McNulty bunk <laughs> uh, scene from season one of The Wire, where you're just like fuck, fuck. 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 <laughs> Motherfuck. Or you're just walking through his house and seeing, all right, so he turned and killed this guy here, and then this door was broken down, and there's a dead body over here, and you're, like, walking through his house, and you're like, fuck. Okay, then they figured out that they chased him upstairs, but he barricaded the door, so they went outside and put a ladder up against the, the porch and climbed that, and they went through the window. Oh, that guy got shot in the chest with a shotgun. And then finally, you find his body, and, like, he's up against the wall, and you get the key, and he, like, killed the guy at the same time or whatever. Um, and then you go to his stash and get extra perk points or whatever. But those things are so good and do such a better job of t- of giving you these little snapshots of what the world was or, you know, what, what is in these people's lives. There's one where it's just like you definitely find a note. And then it's 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 a lot of like you have to 
you have to suspend your disbelief to some degree about like the note that you find that that like sets mm-hmm. up the thing where like there's definitely one where it's just a guy talking to his girlfriend who's like no trust me i watched all the electric the electrical engineering uh, Yo, videos i just on did YouTube that one i just whatever. did that one and it's like oh this place is gonna fall the fuck <laughs> apart um yeah. that one's really good like it actually feels mm-hmm. like half-life one a little bit in that like or like half-life in general there's all these like set piece explosions and electrical wires and like it, I didn't expect it to do animations or like, you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, it, it's, it's a very unique little bit yes. as opposed to just like, hey, there are 30 of these uh, stashes with perk points uh, set aside. And I'm like, go find them. You walk in, you open a door and there's your shit. There's your shit. Uh, and I would do a game that had double the amount of those and half as much yep. shooting. Um, yep, I mean, yep, I guess yep, I did. Yep. It's called Breath of the Wild. <laughs> and instead of having <laughs> perk, instead of having like little story things, they're just like more complicated mechanical good. shrines. But those are the things, basically. That makes me uh, want so to that's, play that's it. the other. You, I, mm, yeah. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. We'll talk on Monday. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. This, will, this will come back on Monday. The last. There are bits of it I love, and there are lots of things that are messy and yeah. not good. Just one thing is our solution mm. here to slowly, like, Yes, you can use guns, but like, is it to keep Watchdogs twoing games mm. to some extent, mm-hmm. right? Where Watchdogs like, two doesn't. Yes, but Watchdogs two doesn't go far enough. Right. I, I have like I'm I'm so deep in my fucking armchair designer bullshit <laughs> with Watchdogs two, and I hate that shit so much. Yeah. Except that I'm gonna let myself have it, which is I wish there were no guns in that game until one of your friends gets killed, and then and then your dude is like, I'm getting a gun and I'm killing these people, and that would have felt like a real moment of characterization for him if he'd spent literally dozens of hours being nonviolent. Um, and, and also, I wish that game had actually made nonviolence... Like, an option. And, no, it is an option. It's totally an mm. option. But I actually guess the other way. I wish violence had actually been reprimanded mm. in some mm. ways, disincentivized. I wish, like, killing people meant anything in that game because it doesn't. Yeah. Like, you can go through that game, to your point, Rob, by not killing anybody and by using stun guns and by using your cool little yo-yo attack ball. Um, but but you don't right. actually... But, like, imagine that, but, like, it's combined with a Dishonored type thing where, like, the world is changing because right. of what you're putting into yeah. it. And also your characterization is changing. That Like, this is actually yes. is a genius thing about Dishonored too. Emily Caldwin is a fucking different character if you start, like letting fly too often, right? Like, if you are going through the game like a fucking ruthless killer, Emily Caldwin turns into a different person over the course of that game. You can hear it happening. That is a cool thing. I, like, I think maybe the Do way think- we pull this off is, like, you sort of leave possibilities open, and then you start designing some narrative wrapping around people exploring those possibilities, and then suddenly becomes an avenue for expression and meaningful moral choice. Right, this is Undertale also, right? Mm-hmm. To some degree, I don't know, am I the only one here who's played, played Undertale the all the way through? I played the first three hours. No, I have. I beat it. Okay. Yeah. You beat it or you get, like, the good ending? Yeah, I did the past. Oh, you did the whole, okay. So, yeah. like, so I think maybe is that also a model, right? Which is, like, because part of the reason that, like, Dishonored, Dishonored 2 is a great example, except that nobody played Dishonored uh, 2. Not nobody, but not, not enough people played Dishonored mm-hmm. 2. I didn't this is me throwing 2. a table I like Dishonored 2. right now. Call uh, me by Arcane, yeah. okay? Thanks. Okay. Did you beat Dishonored 2? Not yet. See? See? But I put like 65 hours in, okay? I'm gonna throw, it, throw the table at yourself. 65 hours uh-huh. of Dishonored Just 2. Just slam your head on that table. Uh-huh. Mm, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. 62 hours? Something like that, yeah. Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, even if I haven't finished all of those games, I have finished it for what normal people play it like seven times over. So, you know. <laughs> So, but, but like the problem, the only problem there is like, that's the problem is like, even we didn't finish Dishonored 2 and that is, 
how do we get people to play? Th- those mechanic has to be in a game like Call of Duty, where like lots of people are just going to love it for the shooting anyway, and then afterwards go on Game Facts and be like, "Why didn't I get the good ending?" Uh, and yeah. and find out. Yeah. I think you, I think you can do that within the frame of an Assassin's Creed. I think Assassin's Creed is kind Assassin's of Creed quietly me. maybe even moving that direction. Like it is supporting a little thematically, more, yeah. And also, like I'm yeah. finding it supports slightly more considered play than it has in the past like not that those avenues weren't open in earlier assassin's creed games but it was so easy to stumble into going loud that like you could be like doing sort of sneaky targeted like killing this bad dude stuff in assassin's creed and then like you just turn the wrong corner or you glommed onto the wrong thing and suddenly 50 people were dead like right right far cry tries it there are a number of times in this game where someone has been like if the only language you speak is violence then I'll speak violence back, I guess. And, like, I can't. I The two things I can do is explore prepper stashes and shoot you. That's it. Like, and you're not a prepper stash, so we ain't exploring each other tonight. Like, oh, that's shit. really all I can that's say. That's an interesting game so, for sure. Right there. That's right a different there. game. That's a different game. Far, far cry <laughs> my name. Like, that's all. You, you know, draw me like one of your French girls. Explore me like one of your prepper stashes. Wow. Far cry character. Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. I don't think we can top that. I think that's, yeah. Uh, Explore right. me like one of your another... prepper sessions. There was another question, but I do think we actually got to it, which was about AAA games, why they always come back to combat. And we kind of actually gotcha. got there with uh, how we talked about Far Cry. Last thing I'll say about Far Cry, uh, other than the fact that I also enjoy, enjoy me some, some good Far Cry, uh, usually going fairly pacifist, but that's one of... Uh, Ben Burbank from My Peace is one of his favorite series. He actually sent me a follow-up email that was like, oh, wait, wait, I really want to tell you this. Like, Far Cry games are right. so fun to play pacifist. They're just chaos simulators. Well, it's not pacifist. My kids watch me play it. Right? Well, like, he... It's no guns. Fire isn't a gun. I mean... I don't wait, think he's, he's like, actually he killing anybody. I think he's running... Like, I think he's just running into situations and running out of them, basically. And seeing what happens. There's no... No, because he has to be... If he's, if he's beating those games... I don't know if he's beating them, he's like, to be honest... I thought hmm, I think okay. he's like enjoying okay. the open world like and seeing what gotcha. banana gotcha. shit he can make happen, but without gotcha. killing anyone or, or, or doing that. Gotcha. Sort of thing. So yeah, people die though. I mean, you know, he he talks you about make explosions. An omelet, Austin, <laughs> you got to break a few outposts. You, know, you got to climb a few towers. That's all. That's, all that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I mean, we could keep going, but you know. We gotta, we gotta do other things. I think things. we might, yeah. We gotta do other yeah, stuff. Today's, today's, I still have a lot you to do today. You got a lot to do. You got a lot to write. You gotta, you have to write these thoughts that you're streaming about right now as we're, as we're finishing our, our podcast. So, uh, does anybody True. else have any, any other thoughts they want to add about this week or about guns and games or about Far Cry, I guess? Or we're feeling good? I think feeling we're good. good. I think I'm good. Oh, yeah. All right. That's cool. Well, I, I would say if, uh, people enjoyed, like, we, like this, we, we've done, this wasn't like a formal yeah. theme week. Like we've done stuff like that in the past. This is sort of like a soft theme week. Um, we didn't like you know didn't really have time to get like a get art, art for and stuff it. like yeah. that. But um, I I I, I uh, personally like really enjoyed the focus. And uh, if people dig stuff like this, like let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you would like to have seen more of. Um, uh, because I, th- I think we'd like to do. I think it, it turned out pretty successful. Um, um, given the fact that we kind of put it together in like a week <laughs> and a <laughs> yeah. half. Um, yep. And and yeah, or if people like have like different topics we like to explore, or like if you find like an event that's coming up that I don't know for some reason we didn't think like was something that would be a waypointy, like give us a heads up because um, I think we're always looking for for stuff like that. So um, um, yeah, yeah, 
Awesome. I also enjoyed this week. So uh, thank you all for uh, helping to make it happen. Um, of course, everyone, thank you for listening to our, our wonderful show. You can always send questions or comments, as, as Patrick is saying, or ideas to gaming at vice.com with the subject question. As always, shout outs to Bowen for letting us use his track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. We're on Twitter at Waypoint. We're on Facebook at Waypoint Vice. We're on YouTube at Waypoint Vice. And you can read everything that we write, uh, including all of our gun-related uh, or, you know, guns and games-related content from this week at waypoint.vice.com. So, Austin, where can people find you online? They find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Amazing. Rob, what about you? Uh, Rob Zachney. <laughs> How about you, Patrick? You can find me at the Sabaro Shooter. <laughs> Good, bringing it back God to Bad it. Pizza. Badpizza.com. Is it? Yeah, it's, I don't is know. It? it got me through college, but I can't ever eat it again. I don't know, man. There was a Sabaro in, I also, I always say Sabaros. I don't know why, like a possessive. It, like, well, oh, that's yes, a Northeast to- <laughs> thing. Yeah, we do that in the Northeast. Like, I, I do that too, sometimes. Let's so, go yeah, to Nordstrom's. Like, there was a Sabaros. Like, right, totally, totally. <laughs> Um, there was a, there was a Sabaros in our, like, in, like, the, un- the student union or, like, the student center or whatever. Uh, it was, like, as the only thing open past, like, 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. Or actually past, like, past, like, 8 p.m. And so, like, if I was going to eat food that I didn't have in my dorm already, it was going to be from the Sabaros. And that meant it was going to just tear up my whole That pasta is not al dente. And it's not that it, not it, dente. That pasta ain't pasta, <laughs> baby. I don't know. Don't, don't sue me, Sabaro. Mr. Sabaro. The Sabaro truth or just posits, are you still hungry? Nope. <laughs> True. Fair. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> you can find me at Danielle or I. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a little bit of a snob when it comes to uh, Italian food. I'm going to put that in quotes. Only the, the Olive part. Garden. <laughs> the OG. <laughs> hey, all right. If, if we're talking about getting I you through college. Olive Garden. Olive Garden got me through college for sure. I, I ate a lot of Olive Garden live- in college. Good. That sounds all right. Honestly. I mean, I have. Danielle just went, Danielle went once and said, "If I just don't leave, <laughs> I can just keep eating breadsticks, the breadsticks, baby." <laughs> That's true. That's true. I ran a lot of miles in college. I was a cross country runner. I ate so many of those breadsticks. All my PRs in college. Thank you, Olive Garden breadsticks. Thank you for keeping me alive and running way too many miles. I appreciate. I appreciate you, Olive Garden. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you, totally. everyone. Thank you, Olive Garden. Thank you, all our writers as, as well, our freelancers this week who uh, made this week awesome. Uh, thank you, everybody. I'm going to tell you to be good and be good at it. When you're here, you're ACOG. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.